The uh, series we're in, Knowing God, the Omniscience of God, I don't know, but have you ever said to a person, I'll give you a penny for your thoughts? And uh, we all have, probably in one way or another. And most of us would give a lot more than a penny sometimes to know the thoughts of the other person, especially if it's your spouse or if it's your children. And I'm delighted to have my elder daughter with me today, by the way, Donna, sitting with her mom. And uh, her husband, Donnie's on a missions trip in India and flies back in uh, tomorrow night. So we're looking forward to getting them here. Penny, for your thoughts, what are you, what are you thinking? And then as I thought about that, I'm thinking there are times uh, that we are so glad that a person can't pay to know our thoughts right? We're so glad that nobody can really read our mind and our hearts and what we're thinking unless we choose to tell them. I think there are times we all long for a kind of a friend to whom we could entrust our guarded skeletons or cherished dreams. But we know we don't have to live very long before the warning flags are up in the safe harbor of our inward hearts because we know it's dangerous out there on the sea of human relationships. One man wrote this, he says, my greatest need is to have someone know me. I mean really know me and not go away. How many people do you know if they knew everything about you? All the thoughts in the recesses of your heart how many of those people would not go away? So this morning we want to focus on a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, our Lord Jesus Christ, the God who knows all about us and he still loves us and he's not gonna leave us. He is the God who knows and that's our emphasis this morning. We've seen his sovereignty that one song, I think, brought almost all the attributes out. His eternality, his immutability, his holiness, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, and Lord willing, the third omni today is his omniscience. When we look at the comprehensiveness of God's knowledge, we note, first of all, that his knowledge is perfect. God knows everything perfectly. He knows no thing better than any other thing. He doesn't know the person next to you any better than he knows you. He knows all things perfectly. He never wonders about anything. He never seeks information. He never asks questions except when it's to draw out the people's thoughts for their good, not that he needs their information. His knowledge is perfect. So let's read Psalm 139. It's going to be on your, your screen. And this is such a beautiful psalm. I introduced it to you before because it deals with, in verses 1 to 6, his omniscience. And then if you look in 7 to 12, it breaks down 666 six, six verses. There's 24 verses. And then he talks about omnipresence in 7 to 12, omnipotence in 13 to 17, and then his his adoring response in 18 to 24. But we're going to pick it up in, in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. 
You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. David is telling us in these verses that God knew every move that he made. He, makes, he knows every move you and I are making as well. He takes the two opposites of sitting down in verse 2 and rising up to represent all of our actions. The one is passive, the other one is Active, And he even goes beyond this in verse 4, saying God knew every word on his tongue before he spoke it. Every word we spoke today, he knew every word before we ever, it ever came out of our mouth. He knew what we were going to say today, yesterday. Over 7 billion people, he knows every word before they ever speak it. Don't we say with David, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. How can I conceive of a God that great? Not only that, but according to Psalm 98, 90 verse 8, God knows every secret thought of the heart and mind, he says. Boy, how would you like people to know all the secrets of your heart? You'd run me off the cape. God does because his knowledge is perfect. It's also infinite. By this I mean there's never been a time in which God did not have full and perfect knowledge of everything there is. Could God at any time or in any manner receive into his mind knowledge that he did not possess and had not possessed from eternity, he would be imperfect and less than himself. Listen to Isaiah's words in chapter 40. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? And taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? The answer to these questions is very clear. Nobody. No one. So when we speak of God's omniscience, we're not only speaking of his knowledge of us, but his knowledge of nature, the past, the present, the future, the nations, everything there is to know. Omniscience tells us he knows it all. Probably everybody here has been to a parade at one time or another in their lives. And you take your seat and you, you know, put your chair and you get your children together and then the parade starts coming. And then one after another, you see the twirlers and the buglers and the band and the acrobats and the various floats and suffer one after the other. But you know, if you were up in the Goodyear blimp up above, you'd be able to look down and you'd be able to see the beginning and the end all together. And that's the way God is with time and eternity. Not limited by, he sees it all in one blink. He sees it absolutely all. He knows every thought on every mind of every person on earth at the same time. And he never gets confused. How great is our God. 
Let me take you a step further. Matthew 11, Jesus said this in verse 22, but I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to hell, Hades. For if the mighty works done in you, catch this, had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. Do you understand what he's saying there? What he's telling us is God's knowledge is so complete, perfect, and infinite that he knows what we would do or not do if certain circumstances had been there. In other words, he knows what did happen, what will happen, what would happen, what might happen, what might cause it to happen. And behind that, all the motivations and every thought of our heart of the things we would do if we had had the opportunity to do them and the things we wouldn't have done. So situations that were in other lives that were not in your life, and you look at them and you say, I would what? Never do that. Oh, yes, you might. You don't know, but he does. He knows everything you would have done, could have done, should have done, whatever it is, and have actually done. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Thirdly, his knowledge is unlimited. The Bible in many places sets forth the implication of God's unlimited knowledge. I was going to have them on the screen, but they're just too many, so you're just going to have to stay with me. I'm running. I'm really, it's in high gear right now. He numbers and names the Psalms, the stars, Psalm 147. He numbers every hair on every head. He knows your words before you speak them. He knows your thoughts before you think them. He knows your prayers before you pray them. He knows when you get up in the morning. He knows when you go to bed at night. He knows everything you're going to know tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, and every moment of the day until the moment of your death. Now, if you want that list, I'll send it to you with the verses to support it. Furthermore, he sees everything you do and say in secret, both the good and the bad. Again, no wonder David exclaimed as he pondered how much God knew. He said, remember, you hem me in before and behind. You have laid your hand upon me. David was trapped by God's knowledge of his every word and deed. Incredible, the comprehensiveness of God's knowledge. Few conflicts that we want to look at that I hope will encourage you. Number one, he knows the worst about us, and he still loves us. Knows the worst. Remember we talked about all those secret thoughts? Remember we talked about those ponderances of the heart that you just hope to God nobody else ever sees or knows? He knows the worst about us, and yet he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Every fault, every failure, not one shortcoming will ever surface unexpectedly to disillusion him about you. He sees the whole of our lives. He knows every temptation we have faced. He knows every sin we have committed. He knows all the failures, even the ones we've forgotten. We didn't even know were failures at the time. He knows all that. But he never stops loving us. And with that, Jesus never stops interceding for us. 
Consequently, he is able to deliver, to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Do you hear him praying? Have you heard his prayer? You can read his prayer for you, at least one of them. Just go to John 17, 20 to 26. He says, I will pray for all those who will believe on your name. Future tense. That's you. That is I. Somebody asked, isn't it odd that a being like God, though he sees the facade, still loves the clod that he made out of sod? Isn't it odd? Not only odd, it's incredible. It's absolutely beyond the mind. He knows me completely, yet he still loves me. His love is unconditional, eternal, and infinite. And when God pardons a sinner from his sins, he does this with the past, present, and future in mind if you've never trusted christ then today is the day that you say i believe the gospel and i trust christ as the one who died for all my sins we know that expression well he died for my sins he bore my in his body he bore my we know those verses at that split second that you come to that point in action of faith and you pass from death unto life and you have everlasting life and you won't come into judgment. All your sins from your past today and if you live to be 110 years old, all those are clued in to this matter. I forgive you. Do you get that? Do you grab that? Have you laid hold of it? Every sin, every thought, Forgiven, because his love is unconditional, eternal, and infinite. If God did not have an infinite understanding of us, how could we have a perfect and full pardon from him? If he skipped one little sin, nothing is skipped, because he knows our sins and iniquities. So he knows the value of the Redeemer's suffering and sin-bearer. God's knowledge of all of our sin does not stir up his justice and wrath, but his mercy to pity us. He knows the worst about you. And there's some really bad things about you and me. And he still loves us. Secondly, he knows the best about us even though we go unnoticed. He knows the best about us even though we go unnoticed. Psalm 1 speaks of the blessed man. It's one of my favorites. You know it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor seats in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the way of the Lord. And then he ends that verse by saying, that chapter by saying, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You see, the Lord not only knows the outward action, but the inward affection, and God can never make a mistake. There are times in our lives when we do very well at something, and yet we go unnoticed. No one ever said thank you, or you did a good thing there. Or we do the best we can, but seemingly we fail in that endeavor. 
What parent here can't remember the time when your children started taking their first steps? Boy, that was a clumsy time, wasn't it? I mean, you're on bated breath, and you're, you can see them just toddling along, and then boom, and then they get back up. What would you think of a parent who would yell at his child every time he fell as he was learning to walk or worship spanked spank the child for falling? We wouldn't think much of that parent, would we? Or should we? But we think well of the parents that says, don't worry, honey, you fell down, but you're going to get up and walk. You're going to walk someday. I know you're doing the best you can. God is like that. I love 1 Corinthians 4 or 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. Now, notice this, And then shall every man have praise of God. You know, most commentators, if you read them, they will take these expressions, he'll bring to light the hidden things of darkness, meaning the sins we've tried to hide away. And we've tried to cover up so no one can see him. But God sees him and he's going to, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the good things you have done in the name of Jesus that is darkness to all those around you. But he sees it and then he's going to bring it to light because then he says, and then shall every man have praise of God. And that's at the judgment seat of Christ. Every person. Since final rewards will be based not just on outward service, but on inward devotion, only God can give the praise each deserves. Thirdly, contrast, he knows what he's going to make of us. He knows what he's going to make of us. God knows the end we have been made for in Christ, and he is most certainly going to bring it to it at its proper time. Now, most of us have memorized Romans 8.28, or a good number of us have. We know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. But this now takes us a step further. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, this gives us the purpose of Romans 8.28, of everything working together for good. Because God has a purpose. As far as I know, predestination always has to do with the believer. As far as I know, it always has to do with the believer's purpose in his salvation. And God has a purpose when we came to Christ, and he's determined to conform us to the image of his beloved son. You see, God's purpose and predestination for every Christian here, every person who has accepted the Lord, his purpose is the same. And that is that you and I, what? Become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, his callings and his gifts are different, but his purpose is the same. More like the master I would ever be. More of his meekness, more humility. That's a song from the past some of you recognized. God is so determined to conform us to the image of his son that even when we blow it, and we do many times, even when we think of giving up, God is at work. So Paul says to us in Philippians 1, and I'm sure of this, 
that he who had begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's a sure thing, even though the discouragements are so very real and many. Many of you recognize the name of Andrew Murray. Uh, it's a name from over a hundred years ago. Many of his books are still in print. I still read them. Perhaps his classic is With Christ in the School of Prayer. Here's what he said in the book. During a low period in his own life, he wrote the following words. He brought me here. He will keep me here. He will make this trial a blessing. He will bring me out again. Therefore, I am here by God's appointment in his keeping under his training for his time. Only an omniscient God who knows every detail could make a statement like that could give a man the, the words to put down on writing for us. So some of you are here today under a very heavy trial. God wants to make that trial a blessing in your life. Therefore, count it all joy. He'll bring you out again, but in his time, not yours. Therefore, I'm here by his appointment. That trial is specially tailored just for me. But I'm under his keeping. I want to get what he's once trying to teach me through his training for his time. Let's bring the message to a close. The comfort of God's knowledge. Omniscience and security. I think omniscience, God's all-knowing, does bring us security in the Lord. Why does it bring sense of security as our, to our position in Christ? I guess I would just use the illustration, and there's so many, but I'll just use Peter. You remember when Peter's in the upper room and all the disciples and Jesus talks about the shepherd's going to be smitten and the sheep are going to be scattered and they're going to be all offended, and Peter speaks up. Lord, what? Though all others are offended, not I. You can count on me. I'm Peter. You can count on me, Lord. And Jesus looked at him, and I'm sure in a very loving way, he said, Peter, let me clue you in on something. Before the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. If you check the four Gospels, Upper Room Discourse, you'll find that Peter never says another word. He's sulking. He's sulking. How could he say about me? Because I think Peter meant that with all of his heart. I really, I don't think he was being a phony. I think he meant it. I think he just didn't know how frail he was. Then we know the story. Do you know him? You sound like one of his own. I think I've seen you with him. I don't know him. I'm not a father. And he cursed and he swore. Just a little girl at the fire intimidates the apostle Peter. Fast track, resurrection, ascension, 40 days discipleship, John 21. Five lessons on discipleship there. One is that the devotion of a disciple must be centered on his love for Christ.
If Peter is to have a public ministry, he must be publicly restored. By the way, he's already been privately restored. And the Lord hath appeared to Simon. Remember? That's all it says. Doesn't say when. After the resurrection, obviously. Doesn't say what day. Doesn't say where it happened. You say, well, what did he say to? What did he say to Peter? Doesn't say. None of your business. None of my business. Some things are none of your business. You got it? And some things God says to you alone, you don't share with other people. Got it? It's a personal restoration that took place. Nobody else has to know what took place. But if he's going to be a leader among the apostles, he's, the other disciples have to see him restored publicly. So Jesus is cooking some fish for a nice breakfast, and they come on. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Yea, Lord, you know that I love you. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Lord, you know I love you. Simon, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he said the third time, do you love me? And he said what? Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Interchange of two Greek words there. If I may paraphrase, Simon, do you like me? Got it? Simon says, you know I love you. Simon, do you love me? Simon says, Lord, you know I love you. Then Jesus says, he changes the word. Simon, do you even like me? That's what grieved his heart. Because now even his liking Jesus is called into question. That's why Peter is grieved. Not just that, he denied three times and he's asked three times. That's peripheral. He got to the heart of the matter. Can you even say you like me? And Peter is so uncertain at this point. He appeals what? To the Lord's omniscience. Lord, you know all things. Do you see why that brings security? Because after every question and every answer, Jesus said, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, tend to my sheep. I've still got my hand on you, Peter. You're still secure in me. And so are you. Our love pales at times. We're not always on fire for the Lord. We're not always obedient. We don't always do the things we should. But omniscience brings security. Secondly, omniscience and suffering. Most of us are familiar with the story of Moses. The people of God are suffering under the heavy hand of Pharaoh and slavery. They're crying out for deliverance. It's been a long 400 years. Exodus 25, I love this. We can skip over this last verse of chapter 2 and just go right into chapter 3. Then the calling of Moses and all that. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Underline that in your Bibles, and God knew. 
The Lord knows the suffering each one of his children. God knew. He knew the dehumanizing degradation the slaves endured in Egypt. He knew about their exhaustion from manual labor, their loss of hope, the enforced infanticide as baby boys were ripped from their mother's arms and killed and destroyed. And the resentment and hatred that was filling their heart for those exploiting them. And God knew. And that brings hope. Not only did God know at that time, but he knew it was going to happen hundreds of years before it happened. So we read in Genesis 15, back to the Father of Israel, Abraham, who's, if we just put it in round figures, Abraham, 2000 BC, uh, Moses, 1500 in round figures. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. God knows. 500 years before, God knew. Eternity past, God knew. The nature and implication of God's foreknowledge have been debated for millenniums. Admittedly, we don't have all the answers. I don't have the answers. Don't press me because I don't have them. Neither do you, by the way. So don't bore me with your thoughts and I won't bore you with my thoughts. We'll just go to some things and say it belongs to the infinite wisdom of God. Is that fair enough? I don't know, you don't know, he knows. That's all we need to know for some things. God spoke so clearly that a babe in Christ could not mistake it. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land they'll be afflicted. Foreknowledge is pregnant with the meaning of purpose. God had several purposes in this horrible experience of the people he sovereignly called and loved the nation of Israel, a purpose whose scope extended way beyond just Israel. God knows. God knew. God knew what he was doing. How long, O oh Lord? 400 years, children. That's a long time. Your affliction has a timeline. You don't know what it is yet. And likely it already seems too long. And you say, Lord, I can't take much more. Your affliction has a purpose. You probably don't know what it is yet either. Someday you will. Maybe not even in this life. I just thought about a woman I saw yesterday morning early on the, uh, on the beach. And I was doing my exercise walk. She was riding a bike. And on the back, there was a picture that was put on her uh, shirt. It's the name of a boy, a picture of a little boy born and when he died. And I just put the dates together quickly. And I saw that he died at the age of six years old. She stopped the bike and I walked up to her. I said, I'm sorry. I said, is that your son on the back of your shirt? And tears welled up in her eyes. She said, no. She said, it was my daughter's best, best friend in kindergarten. And he died of cancer. So we're raising money. She didn't know what the purpose. What do you say to that? Do you know what the purpose? Nah. Some things we don't know. But we trust the Lord, don't we? Someday you'll understand 
I think there's an old gospel song like that, isn't there? And then it will make sense. Jesus Christ has guaranteed your exodus, and it's a far greater exodus than the mere escape from your affliction. You and I are sojourners in this land, and there's a promised land far greater than Canaan. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They kept looking to the Lord and to that city, that eternal city that was promised. And though they didn't appropriate their answer on earth, when they went to be with the Lord, it all became clear. And when you cross the Jordan to the promised land, you'll see that his plan was indeed good for you. It was perfect for you. So that you will wonder why you ever questioned his sovereign plan. For now we say by faith with Paul, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. With Hagar, the slave chased out of the house as a fugitive into the wilderness of shore, we say, Bear Lahai Roy, you are the God who knows and you see me. You love me, you know. In your affliction, we cry out to God for help like the Israelites did. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. I love Lauren Daigle's music. One of her songs is, I Will Trust in You. Google it if you don't know it. Truth is, you know what tomorrow brings. There's not a day you have not seen. So though that all things be my life and breath, I want what you want, Lord, and nothing else. Can you say that? When you don't move the mountains, I'm needing you to move. When you don't part the waters, I wish I could walk through. When you don't give the answers that I cry out to you, I will trust, I will trust, I will trust in you, I will trust in you. That's the walk of faith. Lastly, omniscience and salvation. The fear of the Lord is the valid emotion we ought to have as we realize someday we stand before him that knows everything about us from beginning to end. As the God who knows. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men but are made manifest unto your consciences. It is a fear of the Lord that does not like a, it's not like a fear that when you whip a dog and he cowers under you. It is a fear that mobilizes, not paralyzes you. It mobilizes you. You see how great he is, and it just mobilizes you to love him, to trust him, to believe him, and to trust his son as your savior if you've never done that before. And if you haven't, this would be a good time right now, and I'm going to give you that opportunity. Would you bow with me in prayer?